0: Hi everyone, welcome to our weekly podcast, Satsalas Talks. Continuing our talk about generosity this week is Raj. I'm going to be sharing again from the same passage, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verses 1 to 15. Yes, I remember that we did cover and as I said, we don't want to let go of you people without truly understanding what is at the heart of generosity. Now, let's go ahead and read uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verses 1. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction and the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of ministering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So we urge Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, that you abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. That you through his poverty, might become rich. And in this, I give advice. It is to your advantage, not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you also must complete the doing of it. That as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion of what you have. For... Uh, If there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what one does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but by an equality that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack and their abundance also may supply your lack. That there may be an equality as it is written. He who gathered much had nothing left over and he who gathered little had nothing, had no lack. Amen. Let's just pray. Father God, we thank you for this evening once again, oh Father God. And we thank you for the word, oh Father God, for your... Uh, saints, oh, Father God, who have preserved your word through these generations, oh, Father God, so that we could understand and explore the riches that you have in store for us, oh, Father God, even today. We thank you for your grace and as we refer to this uh, scripture passage, oh, Father God, reveal your heart unto us, oh, Father God. Let our heart and our minds be prepared, oh, Father God, to receive uh, what you have in store for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, giving... A background of this book, uh, book of Corinthians, Paul is writing this letter to the church that he planted at Corinth. This is his second letter, and before writing the first letter of uh, one Corinthians, he came across some practices that the church was involved in, which were different from what Paul had taught when he planted it. And, now, and in the first book of Corinthians, he in some form rebuked them and corrected them when he heard that after the first letter had not completely accomplished its purpose, he writes to them again. And at some point, he receives a good report back from the Corinth. So there's a lot of teaching that is happening in the background, there's a lot of drama that is happening, there's a lot of correction and there's a lot of exhortation also that is happening in the background in the book of Corinth. Now, uh, to, to just summarize the what the passage is trying to tell you so that you have this at the back of your heads. Uh, Paul is talking on the matter of giving and collection using Macedonian church as an example in the context of their remarkable generosity and their response to needs around them. The Jewish Christians in Judea were struck with famine and the Macedonian church, primarily Gentiles, responded quickly at that time. We want to bring about the message that giving is a compassionate response to the pressing needs of uh, Judean Christians, bringing out unity between two different uh, people groups. What we'll probably do is we'll try and see how each verse sends out this message in a very clear and strong manner. I believe every word that is written in the scripture has a profound meaning. And when we understand it, that profound meaning will impact our lives in a beautiful way. So let's go back and read uh, read verses 1 and 2. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you, the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. Here, Paul is talking about the grace of God that is shown in the churches of Macedonia. Paul regards the liberality of Macedonian church as a direct impact of God's grace in their lives. The church of Macedonia exercised generosity in the most adverse circumstances, in the midst of affliction. The church responded in a condition of great need themselves. That is very evident in the verses that we just read. But yet they were abundant in joy, extremely bad financial situations, and yet they were liberal in their giving. It was the joy that overflowed into their liberality, right? So let's read how it goes on. And verse three, for I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely giving. And it's, it's at times, it, it, if we have to just stop at this point and understand that, look, look at all the different parameters and the setup that they were in. They were? In need themselves, they were extremely poor, but they were yet so liberally giving not only giving in their ability but beyond their ability so this nature uh, of giving is kind of ex- uh, expanded a little more in verse three they gave beyond their ability and they were freely giving so let, so what do you think that compelled those people to be so generous? Where could have they learned all this? Had it been just by their nature, that they were by nature just generous, can we replicate it? In most cases, if someone it is someone's nature, then probably we cannot replicate it. We can only appreciate it. But here, I, there is something more. It's not that they were like that by nature, but There is something that happened in their lives that is compelling them to be so generous. And I believe it's important for us to understand what happened in their lives. Paul, here is not just stating some fact that he heard from someone, but he witnessed it himself. And in some form, he's been a beneficiary of their generosity as well. Now, verse 4 imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of ministering to the saints. So here we see that they not only did make an offer but extend their, their support. but And they have also implored Paul and his team to receive whatever they were offering. This is just extreme is what I feel. Because... When, when we think of giving, we, we just give. At times, the person might say no and he might not feel. I mean, at times, some people just feel obliged to receive it, and some people say, it's okay, I mean, that's fine. But here, they were not only really just giving, they, they were making sure that the other person is receiving because they understood that there was a need. They understood that there's something beyond themselves because of uh, which they were compelled to give. Do keep in mind that they were doing this in the midst of affliction, in extreme poverty, yet overflowing in joy, and yet they were freely giving, beyond their ability, and they were willing. Their willingness becomes even more apparent in this verse, that they not only want to give, but they want the person who is receiving to truly receive without holding anything back. Their focus on fellowship and taking part in whatever is going is very clear in the statement. And they also understood the mission and the ministry of Paul and his fellow apostles who were involved in it. And more importantly, they understood the importance of it in great depth and considered it in great value. Now... Let's pause for a moment and ask again what really gave them that understanding and what really compelled them to be so radical in their giving and their earnestness to take part in a much larger plan of God. Verse 5. So, and not only as we had hoped, but they gave themselves To the Lord first, and then to us by the will of God. So, here, now now we're slowly kind of unwrapping it, and we are understanding what really compelled them to be so generous. So this, I believe, it's like the golden verse of the whole passage. The verse uh, reveals what compelled the church in Macedonia to be so generous in their giving. They gave themselves first to the Lord. This is key. This is, this is at times pure gold and probably even more precious. In, so, we, so if that is the key, then we need to understand in what form did they give themselves to the Lord. Here. I think we can summarize this whole verse probably in this phrase called submit and seek. Submit and seek. Let's let's go a little deeper and understand. They understood the importance of what they have received through Christ. And the eternal abundance found in Him alone through abiding in Him. This resulted in overflowing joy in the midst of affliction, in the midst of extreme poverty, in the midst of uh, oppression, and in the midst of persecution. They submitted themselves to God first and through his will, they did everything. They sought God's will first and whatever they gave, they gave as an act of submission and was deemed generous both in the sight of God and in the sight of man. In this context of giving and generosity, we definitely need to understand the manner in which the church from Macedonia gave themselves to the Lord first. Yeah. So last week we learned that generosity is a com is a combination of kindness and goodness, which are primarily part of the fruit of the spirit. Right now, what they were following here is God-centeredness. That is one of Uh, the core values that we mentioned in the beginning. And if that is the case, then, and if kindness and goodness are a fruit of the Spirit, and if generosity is a combination of kindness and goodness, there is no way that we can be generous in our own strength. Because it comes as an outcome of a fruit of the Spirit. So, we definitely need to depend on God and rely on the Holy Spirit to teach us to be generous in everything we do, and foremost, submit and seek. Amen. Thank you. So, uh, and now, uh, looking at verses six and seven, so we urge Titus that as he began, so we would also, uh, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. Paul is encouraging the church at Corinth by asking them to abound in this grace also. We have seen that the nature of giving is more than financial and physical form. Uh, from the state that the Macedonian church was in. Here, we see the characteristics of the church at Corinth. They were not just faithful and of good speech, in, they were good in knowledge and diligent, but they were abounding in their faith. They were abounding in their speech and conduct. They were abounding in their knowledge, and they were also abounding in their diligence towards God. Here, again... Paul is still not calling this a perfect community or a church, but because if you look at his writings in 1 Corinthians, his tone was more of a rebuke in order to correct the church and some of the practices they were involved in. Here, he goes on to ask them, after appreciating them, to abound in the grace of giving also. What do you think Uh, Paul was addressing this grace as? Anyone? What do you think Paul is addressing this overall grace that he's talking about? Okay. Yes, absolutely. Thank you, Andy. So, that is the grace that we receive, that we have received everything so freely. And the word also helps us understand that just as, give, just as giving was an act of reflecting God's grace, even the other characteristics of faith, good speech, knowledge and diligence are also a gift of grace which we have received from God and we have nothing in ourselves to boast about that we could say that this is something of my own that I have given to someone else. Paul is exhorting them to not only abound in the areas of grace, in few areas of grace and be content with it, but he is exhorting them to abound in every area of grace. And this is also understood in the context of disciple making, the third value, where And where he he just didn't set up a community of believers and leave, but he's continuously, we see in the overall passage, that he's continually exhorting them to perfect themselves in this uh, discipleship. Now, looking at verse 8. I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love. By the diligence of others. Well, this could be a breather for some of us. Because if you look at uh, all our core values, God-centeredness, there is a command associated to it. Abide in God. Love your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength. If you look at community, love your neighbor as yourself. If you should look at disciple making, go, go forth to the, all the nations and make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But now if you look at generosity, this is different. But here Paul is saying, "He, I don't say this as a form of commandment. But this is however true, but Paul does, doesn't just stop there. He, he just goes forth to put a challenge before them that let this grace be a test of your love. Your earnestness, And your commitment towards the giver of all good things. And most importantly, let it be sincere. Let it be faithful. And let it be out of the knowledge of who God is. And let it be out of complete diligence to the God we serve. Now, he's raising the bar. And asking them to act out of what they have been given already and what they have received let's keep in mind that the macedonian church was able to do all these things because of their submission and their uh, submission of themselves to god now verse 9 for you know the grace of our lord jesus christ that though he was rich yet for your sakes he became poor, and that you through his poverty might become rich. Oh. This is one golden verse. And let's, uh, let's explore this a li- little more and see what all Paul is trying to say in this small condensed verse. Now, the scenario and discussion is gaining new heights in the conversation. Paul is raising the bar By reminding the people at Corinth the generosity of God towards sinful mankind and how he acted upon it. This is the unparalleled grace of God which we know and some of us have truly experienced it in our lives. Though he was rich yet for your sakes he became poor and you through his that you through his poverty might become rich. So it's important for us to understand what is this kind of poverty and riches that Paul is talking about here. We have seen in verse 3 that the Macedonian church was extremely poor. Does that mean that they did not they have, or they have not received Christ? No, that is not the case. So we see that whatever riches or poorness uh, Paul is talking about here, it is not related to money in any form. And it would be impossible for them to give themselves to the Lord if had that been the case, that uh, the Macedonian church, uh, people of the Macedonian church have not, uh, have given themselves to the Lord. Now, so we need to carefully, we need to be very careful in how we interpret the statement. As Jesus' life here on Earth was not lavish, but it was a living—he he was living a very moderate and a minimal life throughout uh, his ministry here on Earth. But yet, he had the authority to go ahead and say that I am the living water, and whoever comes to me would not thirst again. We see similar statements in other places of the Bible. Let's look at some of the references in the book of John. It said, He who was in the beginning was with God, and who was God, became flesh and dwelt among us. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world knew him not. He came to his own home, and his own people received him not. Another verse in second Corinthians verse five uh, ch- chapter five verse twenty one says, "For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God and this is the line that parallels uh, what Paul is trying to say here that though f- he became poor for us that we might become rich so here let let me read that verse again for he who made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him this verse again perfectly represents the manner in which God has displayed his generosity and since we are now we have moved on to the topic we, we have moved from how the Macedonian church was being generous, we have moved to a point where we are understanding the generosity of God. And since we are on this topic, let's go and read a small parable from Matthew 20. And just before we get there, one little thing is just bear in mind that any parable is a small snippet or a hypothetical, hypothetical story that is used to explain something profound. Something That sounds very relatable, but it is not true in real life. But also, it reveals much about God and his kingdom and his standards. So let's read uh, Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 to 16. For, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landlord who went out early in the morning to hire laborers to his vineyard. Now, when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour, and saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and said to them, "You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, I will give you." So they went. Again, he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour, and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one hired us. He said to them, You also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, you will receive. So when the evening had come, The owner of the vineyard said to the steward, Call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. And when those who came were hired about the eleventh hour, they each received a denarius. But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more, and they likewise received each a denarius. And when... They had received it. They complained against the landlord, saying, These last men, who worked only for one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. But he answered to them, and said, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours, and go your way. I wish to give this last man the same as to you. It is not law. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish to do with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? So the last will be first, and the first last. For many are called, but few are chosen. Yeah. So this is a parable, a fictional story, trying to make a profound point here. It, it is important for us to understand in what context is Jesus, uh, has Jesus mentioned about this parable. At times, we tend to read certain verses or portions of the Bible out of context. It is, it is let, let, let me just put... Uh, a very vague or a crude example of understanding why context at times is very important when we read through the scriptures. Just just imagine this case that uh, you're just walking on the road and you just come across two strangers you don't know either of them you just go ahead and you just overhear some conversation and you just hear a part of it and you suddenly kind of start talking amongst them and you start giving them advice. Wouldn't that be awkward? Yes. Not just awkward, we, someone might completely misunderstand that conversation because they have heard only a part of the conversation. And if we are probably trying to be a little more bold and give them some suggestions, they might, <laughs> we might get trashed <laughs> for probably if the suggestion is very inappropriate in the context we have understood it. So, and, but here, when when we do this in in case of Bible, uh, when we root, when we do this, the same thing in in case of uh, reading the Word of God, definitely we'll not get trashed, but I believe there's a higher risk here of misunderstanding the Bible and leading us to believe what the Bible is not saying, and probably which more likely could be a lie in itself. So hence it is important for us to understand in what context was this parable told. So in this case, we are looking, so the background here comes from the chapter just before this, that is chapter 19 of Matthew. We have a rich young ruler who walks up to Jesus with a very interesting question. And I'm sure the question that he asked, uh, we would have probably asked in one or the other form. And probably even for the people who have believed in God. Has asked this question. And even the people who probably have not believed in God. Must have asked this question in a very philosophical uh, terms. His question can be far- paraphrased as this. That what must one do to find favor in God's eyes. This is the conversation between the rich young ruler. And, uh, this is how the conversation between rich young ruler and Jesus went. Matthew chapter 19 verses 16 to 22. Now, behold, one came and said, Good teacher, what good things shall I do that I may have eternal life? He said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. But if you want to enter life, Keep the commandments. And he said, which ones? Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept from my youth. What shall I do What shall I still lack? Jesus said to him. If you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor. And you will have the treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when the young man had heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now, we have a slightly broader context that after the rich young ruler uh, felt disheartened, even the disciples uh, who witnessed this, they were astonished and they asked Jesus, then if the person who has kept all these commandments from his youth, if he can't have access, then who then can be saved? Jesus goes on to say, with men it is impossible, but with God it is possible. And Yeah, And now, coming back to the parable, we see how the kingdom of heaven is represented. When I was uh, going through this, I I was very tempted to call this as the upside-down world of the heavenly kingdom. But then I had to correct myself and say that this is the right-side-up world of the heavenly kingdom. That... at, at the beginning of the parable, it looks like this eccentric employer is doing something very normal and that he's just going out and hiring people because he needs people to work in his vineyard. Later, it seems like he doesn't have enough workers but has a lot of work to be done. So, he is going out to hire more men to do the task. Now, he is going out the third time and the fourth time. It seems like there's a great need of men and uh, laborers for the task that he needs to do. And he keeps going at it. But when he goes out at the last hour and sees completely unskilled workers, he hires them also. Everything seems normal until this point. But when he starts giving wages out uh, to the people, starting with the people who who were hired last, they receive one denarius which is more likely like one day wages. And this is the same what was promised to the people who were hired first when all settlements were done. The people who were hired first became grumpy and they started complaining. the real intention of the employer are revealed in the following verses and where he says uh, and, and now we can also see that it was not that he just needed workers in his vineyard to come and work for him but he understood that he, his desire was that he could employ as many people as possible. We don't know whether there was a, really a need for laborers, but this eccentric employer was generous enough because he knew the abundance that he had, he know his own wealth, and he wanted to extend that to everyone, and even to the last unskilled laborers, the laborers whom no one else would take. When you talk about the hour in the parable, this we can segregate this as the people who were hired first were probably hired at 6 in the morning, then again at 9 in the morning, at 12 in the morning, and gone so on and so forth. The last people were hired at 5 in the evening when the closing working hours are at around 6 in the evening. So, so this is the setup. So there were people. So the heart of this eccentric employer was to just give out, was to employ people so that they could have a job to do. And they would not be left out. Now, how many of us agree with the grumpy people uh, who were stating it logically and who started working early and was killed? How many of you think that whatever the, those people uh, mentioned, people who were hired first, makes sense? How many of us would probably feel in the same way? Yes. Right? See... It, hmm the remuneration on pro rata basis hmm. i don't think it be applicable I don't think. yes we will come to that angle yes the person true yeah the real intention yes yes true yeah, so I, I was going to come to that. that. That was the reason I asked that question. That many of us, it, it does, like when, when we read through the passage, it they seem very justified in what they have asked. They, and, and But the thing is, it, it's not, this is a parable again. Probably we cannot take this parable and apply it in our real lives. If I have to probably say, oh, this is what the Bible says, and can I go and start up a business and start doing this? it would completely fail. Probably it will work on one day, but all I see that the next day I go to hire people, I will not see any people in the, in the first hour, I will not see any people in the third hour, I will not see any people in the third hour, I will find people only at the eleventh hour. So, so this is, we are again talking about the kingdom of God and who could enter. So God, so this passage, like the, the point is, at times it, it just tells something about ourselves that though we all have been saved by grace, at times our mindset is still under law, where we look at fairness. And when we try to attribute everything to fairness, then if we look at ourselves and what we have received, we see that whatever we have received, we have received not by what we have done. But through what God has done. Through what the generous giver has given. And that is the message that this parable is trying to bring out. Right? And again. So, and there is something else. Uh, This is the book of Matthew. And a little more background to the book of Matthew is. Matthew is primarily written uh, by Matthew mostly to the Jews around. And this is what Jesus was telling this parable to his disciples. And God in some form is also in his sovereignty, Jesus in his sovereignty also stating that the kingdom of heaven is not only for the Jews but his plan is to open it up for the rest of the world, for the Gentiles. And you and I sitting here were the unskilled professionals who were left in the last hour whom no one else would hire. And this is God's way of being generous, that he wanted everyone to be reconciled to his kingdom. Right? And let's Look, since since we, now we understand, we can relate more to the unskilled workers, imagine what if this eccentric employer, this generous employer would have not done what he had done. We would have been more likely, those unskilled employers would probably have not found any job, would have probably gone back home empty-handed, they would have probably gone ho- slept hungry, and they would have been... Nothing for them to feed their families. But only because of the generosity of this man, they had a chance to do anything in life. They had some hope for them for the future. And this, as much as this is a compelling story of the kingdom of God, which is also reflecting the generous nature of God, what God did is, in reality, is far more greater and what is presented in this parable. So let's let's look at what... This, this is, as, as we said, this is a parable. This is a story. This is something parallel to what he has done. And though the story like seems a, a impossible, but at the same time could be practical. But let's see what God has done in reality. He stepped out of his heavenly places, left that luxuries behind, and came down to earth... He created in a lowly place, grew up in a moderate setup, fasted and prayed as man, went out from city to city, town to town, teaching from and explaining the scriptures, healing the people who were sick, helping the the ones who couldn't help themselves. And only what he received was he was mocked, he was ridiculed, persecuted, rejected and betrayed and to suffer. He himself labored on the cross as he gave as, um, so that he may give us the unskilled workers not just one denarius which is like one day wages but he gave us eternal life which is, which is taken care of forever. And this is the generous God we serve. We don't who doesn't hold anything back to provide us the grace to have eternal life, without which we would have been without hope to find a job or means for our living. This is Jesus who obeyed and submitted himself to the Father and to his will. And he said, let your will be done and not mine to the Father. This is the message that was loud and clear to the Macedonian church that there Is this man who died for them so that they could have life and life in its fullness of joy in God alone? And what could they possibly give in return anything to to, to this man? But when in their extreme poverty, in their circumstances, all they could think of was giving themselves back to the Lord. they realized the true joy is in abiding in Christ and in God's will alone. And they acted, every action that they have taken was out of this understanding, which compelled them to do what they did. And here we see that when they have submitted themselves to the Lord first and they sought him and his will and they acted upon it again, It glorified the one who is the source of all good things. The one who is, who alone is love. The one who alone is generous. Once we understand this, generosity won't be a concept. It would become a generous, it would become a work that will outflow of his goodness. And we will see the generosity of God working in your life and through your life. Now, here we see in the, in the message of the cross that through God's generosity we are forgiven. And through this generosity, we forgive others. And it is the generosity of God that compels us to love. It is the generosity of God that convicts us of our sinfulness. It is the generosity of God in the message of the cross that enables us to forgive the ones who have done wrong, who have wronged us. And it is the generosity of God that confirms us to the image of Christ. Now, we have a chance to understand the generosity of God. And what we have received. And the understanding that we deserve nothing. In turn, we have become only the benefactors of God's goodness and His generosity. Now, coming back to the passage in Corinthians. He just doesn't stop there. He goes on to lay some practical guidelines. And these are brilliant ones just to make sure that whenever anyone acts out of submission to God's will, the glory all is always ascribed to God alone. Now, let's see what he's saying in verses uh, 10 and 11. In verse 10, and And in this I give advice it is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago but now you also must complete the doing of it that as there was a readiness to desire it so there may also be a completion out of what you have so we see that he first asks us not only to be earnest in our attitude of giving, but also to go ahead and put it out in action. And also remember that before we even think of this, give yourself to the Lord first and in the reading of the scriptures and to his will. And later in verse 12, he says, For if there is, first a willing mind it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what one does not have right so let so here it's it's plain and simple paul says that once the true and genuine willingness is established it is completely accepted according to what one has and not according to what one does not have right and in verse 13 he says, for I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened. As, as you see, like all these statements that Paul is making, they are very practical. They make sense. But again, for us to even come to this point of uh, working this out in our li- lives, he is already set at that prelude what we need to do even before we get to this point. So, and here he's saying, that in uh, verse 13, he also makes it uh, practical and it does not mean that you are burdened to the point of accusing or complaining to God and that others are comforted. He goes on to say in verse 14 that these acts of generosity will help you glorify God, praise God and be equally joyful, both in your abundance and in your lack. That, that is very clearly said uh, in verse 15, uh, sorry, verse 14. Uh, but by an equality that now, at this time, your abundance may supply their lack and their abundance also may supply your lack, that there may be equality. So here is saying that it doesn't matter whether we are understanding, once we understand the message, Of the cross once we understand the message of this generous God who has done so much for us even in our limited understanding if if our mindset is stuck in abundance or in lack in both places we will be able to equally praise God and glorify God and worship Him through all that we have the abundance of grace and peace and joy in Christ and that is our inheritance all good things are in Christ and in him alone these good things are far more precious than gold and silver and precious stones nothing that the world could offer his mercies are new every, every morning and his love never fails once we understand what we have received in Christ which is far more valuable than one denarius One day wages One month salary One year salary Or even a lifetime of wealth We would be able to give generously Give ourselves generously back to the Lord And we will seek His will We will seek Him for who He is We will glorify Him We will worship Him and praise Him With all that we have And with all that He would give us let whatever comes out of your submission and His will break the boundaries of human understanding of generosity that God alone is glorified. You must, we must always, uh, we, we will start seeing ways you can give not only through the physical and material forms but you will see ways to give of yourself just like Christ did on the cross you will see the needs in the areas that existed right around you in the people that are right around you but you had no clue that these need existed so first again submit yourself to the Lord and seek his will he will reveal what he has placed around you he will also Build the understanding of abundance that He's placed in you, and He's also give an understanding of the lack that is placed around you, that you might reveal His generosity in 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 the world. And as much as now in in towards the conclusion, I I know we've been doing all this value series, right? And And something we would just like to say eh, that as much as we've been talking about these values, these values wouldn't mean anything if it doesn't have the truth in them. These values would merely be a wrapper in which the truth is being served. And this is the truth, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to be put to death on the cross that whoever believes in him may not perish but to have eternal life. He who has no sin was made sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You take this truth away and the wrappers, all these values become pointless. So it's important for us to uphold this truth at the center of each of these values and, and let this settle deep in your hearts that we May be humbled before God. So just let, let me just share a small story with you, and and that I recently heard from a pastor online. And and to be honest, I'm sincere. I essentially apologize that the story is centered around money, but generosity, as we've seen, is <laughs> generosity, as we've seen, is far more than money. But the the best example that I could probably come across is centered around money. And again, as I said, I apologize. But I hope that it does not remain about money by the end of this testimony. And this is the testimony of the pastor from his church at a point where they were in a deficit of $150,000. They didn't owe that money to anyone, but they spent the amount of money more than what they had budgeted for. Few days before this, they felt that God was leading them to support few missionaries' education, about 45 missionaries and needed a substantial amount for that. Only the lead pastor, the finance guy, and one more guy from the board knew of this information that they were in a deficit of $150,000. The church did not know, none of them. They're a huge church. And out of all these people, probably less than 0.5% people of the church knew about this. They didn't share about this deficit with anyone. And apparently, they have a policy not to talk about the financial needs to a larger congregation believing that God will provide. It was the 31st of December and they had to arrange for the education fees for these missionaries by about the 1st or 2nd of Jan. So, on the 31st of December, the pastor was studying the Bible and lifting up his prayers to God Uh, and all the things that he's been troubled with he heard a knock on his door he opens the door and sees the finance guy he's standing there with teary eyes and the pastor asked him what happened the finance guy tells him that they just received a check of $60,000 okay the pastor didn't say much he thanked the finance guy for the information and he went back into his room and started studying and praying He heard the knock on his door again. He opened the door and saw the finance guy with the same teary eyes. But this time his voice was trembling. He said, we have received $90,000. The pastor asked, so it's 60 and 30. So total of $90,000. The finance guy replied saying, no, one check of $90,000. Okay. The pastor thanked the guy for the info and he went back into his room. To continue to study the Bible and pray. He heard a knock again. And when he opened, it was the finance guy again. And he said, we have we have a cheque of $60,000. The pastor said, yes, I know. You already told me that. To which the finance guy responded by saying, no, this is another. And by the end of the day, they had $326,000 in their account. When in the beginning of the day, they had a deficit of but here is the thing here is what the pastor had to say and in his words he says the more you cut yourself off from what is physical and what any man can provide then you will see the hand of god then you will truly witness the generosity of god and and this i believe is the beauty here that In this case, the generosity of the church to support the missionaries in a state where they themselves did not have much were met with the generosity of ones who poured out into the church as an act of submission to God and His will. The church does not know who these people are but both of them praised and glorified the one who deserves it all. He praised, we praise Him both in our abundance and in our lack because in whom we trust he alone is faithful in conclusion let me summarize this in three statements that understand the riches and the abundance that you already have in Christ then give yourself to the Lord through reading of the Bible and submit to his will continually through that submission And seeking him generosity of God would be revealed in you and through you let the same passion that God had for your salvation be revealed in your life and let his faithfulness and goodness and kindness be the story of your life hey we're glad you could join us today Go ahead and follow us on Instagram at zealouspuny or visit our website Community, to know more about us.